So we are in our week five of this series called The Sermon on the Mount, where we take several weeks and we talk about this uh, incredible sermon, this very famous sermon that Jesus spoke, and it's, it's in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, and if you want to give your copy of God's Word, your a printed copy, your digital copy. We'll have the scripture on the screen as well. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. So we're making some progress. Uh, over the last four weeks, we've been in chapter 5. And um, we've already talked a little bit about Beatitudes. Jesus talks about that at the beginning of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about genuine righteousness comes for those who are spiritually bankrupt and have a need for God. If you've ever been in the place where you've been sort of spiritually bankrupt, either things that have been done to you you or you just maybe you've walked away from God a little bit and you just don't have that energy and you don't have the, um, the, the closeness maybe you once had or maybe you've never accepted Christ and you're like, man, something's going on with me. I feel so empty inside. And so uh, Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of God, uh, it, it takes people who realize that they're broken and they are a little bit bankrupt spiritually and, um, and the kingdom of heaven is for those. We talked about also uh, salt and light, how all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ should be salt and light. And uh, salt, like the salt we, we use every day in our lives, brings flavor, thirst, and, and healing. And so we are to be that when we share Jesus, when we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus salt on people, uh, it, 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 makes them, uh, it makes them thirsty for what we have. And Jesus also wants us to be light. And we talked about how the best light is not really the, the sun, but more of a moon. Because the moon doesn't produce its own light, just like we shouldn't produce our own light by our good actions. We should be simply a reflection of the sun. Of course, a reflection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, as we uh, shine His light within us, uh, we can help pave the way for others. And then, the last couple of weeks, we looked at six examples that uh, Jesus used for righteousness that goes to the very core of our hearts. And so, Jesus was, uh, spent um, six examples, and He said, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, uh, don't commit murder. Okay, there's, there's some people who have committed murder, absolutely, but most people haven't. And so some people may live their life go, well, that's easy. That's an easy commandment. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says, I, I don't want you just to not focus on not committing murder, but I also want you to make sure you don't get angry at someone. So he takes all of those, you've heard it said, all of these commands and everything, and he says, uh, let's take it a little bit further. And so he talks about things that we all deal with every day, anger. Lust, even revenge or, or divorce marriage issues or making false promises and loving our enemies. Yes, those people that, that um, cut us off in traffic, right? And so uh, he spent six, uh, you know, six examples of that. And so we did that the last couple of weeks. And so now we move into chapter six as we continue in this. And Jesus makes a shift from chapter five to chapter six from things we should not be doing to things we should be doing, pointing out that even good deeds must be motivated by sincerity in order to be truly righteous. So again, in chapter 5, he moves from the things we should not be doing, okay, should not be angry, should not have lust, those kinds of things, and he moves it into things we should be doing, but he also warns us when these things we should be doing, it should not be something that um, are motivated by other than 
um, God and putting him first in our life. And there are three things we will share today in today's message as we look at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, and they are giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. The common approach to all of these um, is to do them in secret. And as we see this, uh, we, we look at, uh, at verse 1 at chapter 6. This is sort of the theme verse that sets up this entire chapter. So if you look at verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's a big statement. Big statement. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Jesus doesn't say don't do them, but when you do them, when you do these things, these, approach them with the right heart attitude because the temptation here is to be noticed by others. There's a temptation for us to do the right thing with the wrong heart. Now, this verse is, is no way contradicts Jesus' recent command in chapter 5 to let your light shine before others so they will see your good works, Okay? Since Jesus is speaking on, on, on these two motivations, God works, uh, good works, sorry, ought to be visible and public if we, if and when that pub, uh, publicity primarily serves to give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So in other words, when we do these things, the ultimate goal, when we do these things in public, should be to give honor and glory to God, not to ourselves, not attention to ourselves. And again, talking about giving, praying, and fasting. Doing good so others will think we are good is spiritual arrogance. Spiritual arrogance. Uh, There is no heavenly reward when we do the right thing for the wrong reason. That basically sums it up. There's no heavenly reward when we do the right things for the wrong reason. So let's, let's dive into uh, giving. So let's look at verse, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So it's unclear what is meant by the sounding of trumpets. Uh, though trumpets were used in some aspects of worship, there were, there were different seasons and different festivals and, and worship experiences where they would incorporate trumpets. And so perhaps maybe some of, the, some of the people who wanted to get that attention for giving, maybe they would wait for those, those big moments and, and, uh, where they had trumpets and, and they would uh, put those, uh, those offerings and those tithes in there and sort of... Um, in order to be sort of caught giving to the needy and being praised by others for their generosity. Uh, They may have made a spectacle of their lavish gifts drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus is using the word hypocrites. And it's very interesting. We we sometimes uh, use this word in in our society, especially when it comes to to, uh, church ministry. And and so hypocrites actually uh, comes uh, from a Greek word that that means speaking uh, underneath. And what this means is uh, it goes back to the Greek plays that were in that time. They would put on, the Greeks would put on these plays and they would wear masks. 
uh, for the plays. And they would speak, obviously, underneath or, or behind the masks. And so what it is, it's, it's uh, basically saying you're speaking, but you're not really the person underneath that you're portraying with your mask. And so, in other words, you're, you're, you're fake. And so that's really what, what hypocrites uh, mean. Disguising themselves as someone they really aren't. That's how Jesus described these types of givers, where they want so much attention drawn to themselves. I'm reminded my, my brother and I um, used, to, used to call, used to sort of uh, have this competition where we call our mom on Mother's Day. Now, it's been two years since I've lost my mom and um, unexpectedly, and many of y'all know that story. And so um, I do miss uh, uh, giving her a call, of course. But I remember when she was with us, uh, it's just me and my brother, and, and we, would, we would race to see who would call her first. And then we would, uh, we would then, our next phone call would be one another and say, hey, did you call mom? Did you call mom? Uh, I did. You know, and then what, what we noticed is that we started getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And me being an hour ahead of time than, than you know, my mom who lives in central time, uh, I had the advantage, right? <laughs> and so there were times I'd call her like at 530 in the morning, you know, happy Mother's Day. And she's like, uh, yes, uh, thank you, son. Thank you. You called first. And then I would call my brother and wake him up. I said, did you call mom? He says, no, the sun's not even out. I was like, well, it's Mother's Day, right? And then you get to the point to where my mom would not even appreciate that. And it was all about bringing attention to us. And so that's really kind of example of what Jesus is talking about. It's not about, about bringing attention uh, to us. So how should we give? How should we give? Jesus explains in verse 3 through 4. So let's look at thir- uh, 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says when, not if, when you give, he, he expects believers, he expects his disciples, his followers to give. He expects all of us to give when you give, not if you give. And uh, so he gives the correct model for Christian giving to meet the needs of others secretly for the sake of authentic integrity, for the sake of authentic integrity. He uses this sort of hyperbole, meaning uh, this means an exaggeration uh, for, uh, for effect, what a hyperbole is. So he uses this exaggeration. Jesus tells his audience not even to let their left hand know what their right hand is doing when we give to the needy. This, what he's basically saying, this, this emphasis this, uh, the emphasizes the level to which Christians need to avoid letting worldly praise motivate their actions. Letting worldly praise motivate their actions. So when we give, we need to do it in a way that, you know, does it bring honor and glory to us? We have, we've had this happen many times in our church. We've had certain needs. In fact, the, the very chairs you're sitting on, many years ago, we, uh, we had someone in our church who, and it's a credible story, someone in our church who, um, who you know, ran across some extra money and, and they... Um, 
And they said, hey, I need to meet you at the church office. And so, um, so I did, and they handed me, a, handed me a check. And we were, they didn't really know this, but we were looking for some chairs because we were sitting on hard bench, benches, cafeteria benches. Was it comfortable? And so we wanted to get some chairs. And, and uh, so they handed me a, a check, and I said, thank you so much. And they said, just do whatever you want to with it. And I opened it up, and it was a check of $7,000. What they didn't realize is that was the exact amount that it took to buy all the chairs that we had. It's amazing. And of course, they said, hey, we, we don't want any, anybody uh, to know. And it's like, absolutely. And it happens all the time. Even this, this past week, I shared last week a need, how uh, we wanted to give, um, uh, provide meals to our teachers. We provided meals this week. We had volunteers to come uh, provide meals for three of the schools here in Emerson. And we had uh, a family come up and say, hey, we want to provide that uh, for that. We want to offer that. But on one condition, you don't, you just, we don't want to have any attention. I was like, absolutely. And so what happens all all the time on that. And so that's really what, what, what Jesus is saying uh, for this. And so um, we want to make sure that we do the right, uh, that, um, that we do the right thing for the right reasons. So doing the right thing for the wrong reason is not righteousness. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is not righteousness. Okay? All right. So we talked about giving. Let's talk about praying. Move on into praying. I'm going to share with you a parable that we can find in Luke chapter 18. If you want to turn there, you can, but kind of keep your, kind of keep your finger on, on, the, uh, on Matthew chapter 6 if you want to go there. Uh, but Luke chapter 18, it talks about a parable that you have probably heard before. And this parable sort of sets up this idea that we're going to be talking about through praying. And so Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And it says this. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, okay, that, that even talks about what we just read, what we've been discussing. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. That's why this parable fits. And here it is. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee was considered a very righteous person, someone who obeyed the law to the nth degree and just was always about that. In fact, even looked down upon people who really didn't. A tax collector was someone who uh, worked for the Roman government. I mean, Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, was a tax collector, a disciple of Jesus. And they would collect extra taxes, uh, Roman taxes, to their own people. I mean, when, when tax collectors walked by, they booed them. It was just not a good uh, thing to be a tax collector. So two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee, another tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus moves into this idea, the second example of doing good for the right reason in regards to 
prayer, just like the parable we just read. So go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, and when you pray, not if, not if, when, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Here's a hit word again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, just like we read, and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus continues with this theme that the religious leaders who like to pray in public, they have received their reward by getting the attention of others. Well, that's your reward. Guess what? You get that. But there's no reward for you in heaven if you're trying to uh, seek uh, attention. Now, I don't want to make, I want to make sure you understand something. This verse does not, um, this not condemn corporate prayer. When I say corporate prayer, I mean public prayer in church. Our, our church needs to be praying. I mean, we have, we have people, we've had uh, moments where we have prayed for others, and, and, we, and obviously we pray in our church and, and, and everything. We pray when we have uh, Bible studies and stuff, and, and that's not what Jesus is saying, Okay. Uh, Jesus is saying when it, all, when it brings attention to yourself, okay? And so we, I want to make sure you get that and you understand that. And so um, it's all about the motive of the heart. And so how should we pray? Well, look there in, um, in verse 6. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What Jesus is saying is that your prayer or corporate prayer should be an overflow of your private prayer life. Okay? In other words, if you're just praying for attention and... and, and if you, have a, if you have a healthy prayer life, a, a, a private prayer life, you're not going to want to bring attention to yourself in public. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Why? Because your, your spirit, your uh, spiritual life, your walk is lining up to the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to want to bring honor and glory to him, to God the Father. So Jesus goes on in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Many words. So there were, there were prayers that people would just sort of memorize and pray, and they would do a lot of repeated uh, phrases over and over and over again. And those prayers are just kind of just meaningless, and so now, it, it doesn't mean that we can't, the, the most famous prayer here in just a moment, but it doesn't mean that we have to, prayer here in just a moment, but it doesn't mean that we have to, we can't read a prayer that is written and mean it from our heart. That's, that's not what, it, what, it, what we mean. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But what he is talking about is just having this sort of incantations or sort of magical sort of words in order to feel like we're getting close to God. And that's what a lot of the Pharisees would be doing. They were just babbling words, just over and over again. That just really didn't make sense. I love to hear, I love to hear new Christians pray. It's one of my favorite things. Oftentimes, I would, uh, when when I lead someone in um, to Christ and or share Christ with them, I would give them the option. Hey, do you want to do you want to say a prayer by yourself? 
uh, to just accept Christ. And, and, and this, this, is, this is something that is incredibly touching uh, that I love to experience if they choose to do so. And, they, and those sort of new believers are just about to be new believers, about to accept Jesus. They'll start off by saying something like, hey, God, this Frank, I know you're up there. So how did Jim Bob for me? Um, I'm a bad person. I don't know what to say, but I know you can, you can help me and just save me. I need help. Thank you. 10 <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, whatever. And, 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 it's, and it's so amazing because they haven't really been a Christian and haven't sort of been Christianized with the words to say. You know, they don't, you don't have a new believer who's like, thou father, I'm so grateful for your unending love for me. And, and so they don't have these sort of big words and seminary words or whatever and, because they haven't been in church. And I think that God loves those prayers so much. And they're raw. And they're, you know what, the most important thing? They're from the heart. Our prayer should be very similar to that, just like we are talking God just wants to be a father. He just wants you to pray. And so that's how Jesus wants us to pray. So Jesus continues in, in, uh, in chapter, uh, uh, verse 8, chapter 6. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that wonderful? That God, even, God knows what you need before you even ask. He already knows. You say, well, why do we need to ask? Well, he likes to have a relationship. He likes to have a relationship. And so, you know, it's kind of like mom. You know, our moms sort of have this innate ability that God has given them. And it's like they know what we want. It's like they can read our minds. You You ever been in that? Situation where you go to your mom and it's like, ah, I know what you want to ask me. They're like, how do you know? It's like they, they just know. They know, but, but they still want you to ask. They still want you to come to them and just ask. Now, dads, we don't, a lot of, I mean, I don't know what they're, what they're thinking. You know, sometimes they'll come to me and, and just out of the blue, and it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming or, or whatever. But but moms just sort of have this sort of innate ability. It's the same with, with God the Father. Obviously, he, he, he knows everything. And so we, he still wants you to ask, wants you to have that relationship. So we come to the next section of, of this prayer uh, section. And, uh, and again, we talked about giving. We're talking about praying. And so we come to probably the most famous prayer of all. That's, uh, that's in God's Word. And as we read this, you'll, you'll probably... Um, uh, pick up on this. So let's start right there at verse 9 through 13. And it says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, 
This is a, this is a very famous prayer. And, and I've even been around people who weren't even church-going people. And, and, and in fact, their life, I remember in high school, we'd, we'd, say, uh, we'd get around and say a prayer before one of our, uh, our drama plays I was in. I was in drama or choir. We'd do that before a concert. And, and, and we'd all gather hands. And there were guys next to me that they were not living a life for God. But man, they knew that Lord's Prayer, man. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And so, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, yes, it's, it's very powerful, and, and, but we have taken, not all of us, but many of us have taken the Lord's Prayer and misused it as an example of what Jesus was just talking about, just sort of babbling words that really have no meaning because we don't take it from, we don't mean it from our heart. And actually, I mean, I'm not sure if Jesus would, I mean, we'll, we'll find this out when we get to heaven. I don't know if Jesus like, this is the prayer you should pray. This prayer, right here. Only this prayer. Pray this prayer. And if you tell me pray, I, 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 really, I really don't think that's the case. Now, is this a prayer we can pray? Absolutely. But I really think the Lord's Prayer is set up as a template. It's set up a model as a model prayer. And even in this passage, when he's speaking right here, he's not even, he's actually not even praying. He's, he didn't say, okay, everybody bow your head, our Father which art in heaven. You know, he didn't do that. He's like, well, here's a template. Here's, a, here's some, an example prayer you could pray, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so Jesus goes into this. And so we have this template. And so we have this template of, 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 of the first thing of our Father who art in heaven. And Jesus, for really the first time in humanity, we have this approach of God the Father because it's always been God Almighty, holy is he, and the mountains shake, and, and he could do so many things, and he can smite an entire army, and he could do incredible things and make the walls come down, and he, he is Almighty God. And now for the first time in humanity, Jesus is saying, look, he's your dad, He's your dad. Talk to him like you would your dad. And I know not everybody has a, has a great relationship with your dad. Or maybe have a great relationship with your mom. It's like, just like talking to your mom. But Jesus introduces this idea. When you pray, don't, don't approach it like he's so far off place. And he's getting us ready for the spirit of, of of God coming into us. Because later on, after he, after he dies and rises from the dead and ascends into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes inside of those who believe. And those who have trusted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He is close. He's not some far-off cosmic being that we cannot touch and we cannot talk to in a sort of conversation way. So Jesus is saying, look, when you pray, just sit down and talk with them like you and I talk. But then at the same time, you need to understand that he is holy. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. So in other words, Jesus is like saying, you, you want to approach him like a father, but you don't want to approach him with disrespect. And you don't want to be like, hey, what's up, daddy-o? What's up, daddy-o? What you got for me today? I mean, that's not respect. He is holy. 
and set apart. Our holiness, our own self-righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. And so what he Jesus said, look, he, approach him like he's your dad, but respect your dad. Have you ever crossed that line with, with your dad and with your mom? I've done it with my mom, definitely. Done it with my dad as well. Where you, you, you're like too loosey with them, right? And then it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, I think I, I think I crossed the line somewhere because I didn't respect him or I didn't respect her. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Hallowed be his name. And we are to also in this prayer, the other model was we need to submit to his will. Praying for what God wants to happen is to accept that his plan is right and good for everyone. God, your will be done. Not my will, not my plan, but your plan. Your plan, God. And so God just, wants to, God just wants you to be connected with him that you trust in his plan for your life. When your life is in his hands, you don't have to worry. When your life is in his hands, you don't need to worry. You could just say, you know, <laughs> man, this, this area of my life or this situation is going to pot. I mean, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and this is, this is not good. Or I've just lost my job, or, or the, the money's not there, or there's some bad relationships, or just whatever. You got a bad health diagnosis, whatever it is, you can say, but I will trust in you. I will have faith in you. Lord, guide my steps. I don't know what to do. Guide my steps. And you, you believe that? He will show you. He will show you. And as someone who likes to sort of control things, I, I have to learn this lesson over and over and over again. God, let me help you out. Mm, it doesn't really go well when I sort of step in and play God for a day. And that's usually how long it takes, about a day. You're like, okay, you're right. Uh, you're the one in charge. But as we surrender to his will, your will be done, not my will. So we need to come before him as a, as a, as a loving father, but have respect and, and say, your pathway, I'm going to heed to your understanding. And then we also have this sort of, this, this idea of daily bread. Come to him with daily bread. Again, this is just a template, daily bread. He, what, he's, what I think he's referencing is when the Israelites were in the, in the desert for 40 years. What do the Israelites have every day? When they were in the desert, that God provided manna. Manna was like this sort of bread-like substance. And they had to go out of the, the, the Israelite camp and go out and go collect it early in the morning and bring it back into the camp. And that was their sort of bread for, for the day. He also sent quail as meat. And, but the, the bread was there every day. And it was really interesting is the manna only lasted for a day. Because if you kept it longer than a day, it would actually spoil and so what did they have to do? They had to go out the next day and the next day and the next day. They spent 40 years not depending on their own abilities, but depending on God and going to him every day, daily. This is my provision provided by God. And God was just training their hearts. So by the time they got to Jericho, and went into the promised land, 
They knew who to depend upon because that was their daily bread provider. So just like the Israelites every day had to go out for their daily bread, we should go before God the Father with our daily bread, our daily spiritual nourishment every day. Have you gone a week or two without even going to God the Father? I have. And, and you just feel empty. You just feel, you just feel spiritually hungry. Well, of course you do. Because you haven't been fed. We got to go before him. Go before him. And so, this idea of, of, of daily bread. What an incredible picture. Then he goes into this idea of, he models forgiveness. Jesus is instructing believers to pray for forgiveness. He's also declaring the necessity of extending forgiveness to others. You need to forgive others. Both are critical needs for every person to be forgiven of sin by God and to follow God's example for forgiving others. Jesus even, Jesus even did this while on the cross. God, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So this model prayer helps us with that. And then he closes out this prayer with the idea of, of temptation. This idea of temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Now, one might think, well, does God lead us in temptation? Does God tempt us? Well, and we, we find out in James, you don't have to turn there, but in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, this is the brother of Jesus actually, actually saying this, so uh, obviously he knows, and of course inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So God has the power and the ability to lead people away from tempting circumstances, including temptation to sin that might come from enduring hard circumstances. There's many times that we, we are tempted, whether it be drawn away by our lustful desires, by our evil desires, but then when things are done to us, okay, and, and we just want to just get even or, or whatever, we're tempted for that. God can help us. Knowing that even we are tempted, he always provides us a means to avoid sin. And then finally, he goes deeper on instructions of forgiveness. Read in verse 14 through 15 of, of, of chapter 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, Jesus does not mean that forgiving others is a condition for salvation. I want to make sure you understand that. He's not saying you will not be saved if you can't forgive others. But that forgiveness is the expected condition of those who have been saved. Those who have been saved. Like, if you, if you had a hard life and people have, been, have, have, have done things to you, 
and you become a Christian, you still may have this sort, of, this sort of bitterness in your life, but that is eventually going to go away. The more that you work out your salvation and the more that you draw closer to him, then you're going to have the ability and the power to offer that forgiveness, to offer that forgiveness. And that's a tough one. Taken together with the rest of the Bible, we see that salvation, forgiveness from God is not based on faith. It is permanent. However, there are signs and symptoms one would expect to see in a person who is truly born again. It makes sense that appreciating all God has forgiven us ought to make us willing to forgive what others have done to us. So those verses, those are crucial. And so it just really takes us. And I've been there, y'all. I know what that feels like. When I try to go before God the Father in prayer, now all I hear is crickets. Why? Because there's some people that I have a grudge, bitterness. I've had to get on my knees and do some hard stuff, some of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. And God will take care of that. He's like, look, you need to let that go. You need to forgive them. I'll take that. I'll handle that. And you don't even know. You don't even need to know or worry about anything that I'm going to do. Vengeance is mine, not yours. And I just need you to forgive them because I need to forgive you. And it's difficult for me to forgive you your sins when you are still holding on to theirs. For forgiveness towards others is an indicator that we have been saved and we're walking as a, as a believer. So we come to our final area. We talked about giving. We talked about praying. And then we're going to close with fasting. The third and final example. Look at this in, in verses 16 through 18. We close out this, chapter, uh, this section. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I'll tell you, they are receiving their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The purpose of fasting is to show and say to God, my dependence is not on food, but on you, God. This draws us closer to God. So when a believer chooses to fast, they should do it without announcing it. This does not mean no one at all can know. It just simply means Christians shouldn't advertise their fast. So give me some life practical applications uh, for this. So um, uh, many times in the history of our church, I've called our, our church for corporate fast. Uh, for church-wide fast. And, and I know there, there are times in, in believers' lives uh, that you have fasted and I have fasted. And so it's not something that you want to put on social media. Hey, everybody, we're, I'm fasting this week, so just be in prayer for me and everything. Now, if you want to just tell a couple of friends uh, who they will pray for you, that's perfectly fine. Tell, tell maybe your spouse or, or someone, and, and just that's perfectly fine. 
okay? Um, or, or if you, um, if you need to go out to lunch, I've had, to, had this happen before. Someone would call me in the middle of my fast, say, hey, uh, uh, let's do this meeting. Can we do it over lunch? And I'd have to say, you know what? Uh, let's, uh, can we maybe go out for coffee instead? And uh, if they ask why, I'll say, well, I'm just fasting from food and coffee's fine. And, and so I'll do that. But not in a way that shows, hey, I'm, I'm fasting. So I'm, you know, got this spiritual aura about me. And so that's basically what, what, what Jesus is saying. You know, when we fast, it, it, it's the same principle of the giving and, and praying. Just don't do it in a way that brings attention and, and, um, uh, and sort of this, um, this, not only attention, but uh, this credit is a word I'm looking for for you. So the bottom line of this message is that we should not be hypocrites trying to look like someone we are not. This is, I mean, God, God the Father can look right through that. It's the same with our mothers, <laughs> our moms. My mom could look right through me and know exactly when I'm, when I'm faking. And we see it in our own kids. We notice when our kids start like doing things we don't ask them to do, we know something's up, right? <laughs> know something's up. They're washing the dishes. They wash the car, you know, and all this stuff. Uh, Father, may I get something for you? And I'm like, something's up, right? I can see right through it. You, you, you've done something or you need something, you know, or whatever. And it's okay. I used to do the same thing. Our moms have the ability to really see right through that. That's the same with God the Father. So just, we don't need to be like a hypocrite. And again, a hypocrite is someone who is acting out a part that's not them. They have a mask. They're wearing a mask. And so just want to encourage you, just as you live this life and as you go and obey this, uh, this message, these words of Jesus, that we just need to live a life that is true to what God wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you help us to be people who are true to who we are, who you've created us to be. And I pray, Lord, that, you, that, um, that we are able to uh, live a life, Lord, that's not fake. Help us, Lord, when we give and when we pray and when we fast, Lord, to, to not do it in a way that brings attention to ourselves, but only brings attention to you, Father God. We ask you, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that is far from you, we ask you, Lord, that you draw them to you, Lord Jesus, that you give them the, uh, the open door, Father, that they will be prompted, Lord, to open the door of their hearts to receive you, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you comfort us. And I pray, Lord, right now for, for, uh, for all the ladies in this, in this room, whether they're moms or, or future moms or, or maybe in a, in a motherly role in their, in their family, in their church, in their community. I pray, Lord, you give them strength. I pray, Lord, Father, that you give them wisdom and discernment. Lord, we, we can't do life uh, without them, Lord. So we're blessed because of them. And I pray, Lord, you give them strength and uh, help us, Lord, to um, just live a life of purity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, I invite you to come back next week as we continue in this, uh, in this Sermon on the Mount series. 
And, um, and also, I want to make sure that you uh, keep on your calendar for Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you come back for that special service. And on your way out, we've got, um, we've got a rose for you. And uh, so make sure you are, um, you've got that ready to go. And then um, also check out the Take Sock uh, fundraiser for students. It's a great opportunity to send them to camp. Love you guys. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.